I'm Eugene LaPay. He's Chris Stanzial. And welcome to a happy, happy, happy Thursday edition of the State of the Nova Nation. We got that big dub on Tuesday, knocking down Gonzaga at the Garden. Men's team is still undefeated. And then the Lady Cats, they also took care of business too. They blew out Fairfield last night. So we have two undefeated basketball teams still. Two very good wins, two exciting wins. It's a great time to be a Wildcat fan. But I'll be honest with you, Chris, I'm still shaking from that Mikhail Bridges dunk <laughs> defensive stand. Literally, if you blinked, you would have missed it. Yeah, and I actually did miss it. <laughs> I was so hyped on the dunk, and my dad was in the other room. I was like, Dad, you got to come see this. You got to come see this. And as I turned my back to go get him, Mikhail's blocking. I forget who it was on the other end. Getting hyped. He was all up in Eastman's face. It, it was a great feeling. It was so it was so electric, and it was so nice to see the crowd get back into it, kind of like during the, a lull of a game there. Yeah, I saw on Twitter, I forgot which broadcast of ESPN or what it was, but as they were dissecting the post-arising dunk that Bridges had on like two Gonzaga defenders, all of a sudden you hear the, the commentator just go, oh my God, he just had a big block on defense too, as they were still reviewing the slow-mo play of him on, on the post-arising dunk. So I guess even ESPN got to miss it too, or at least you weren't the only one. Yeah, it was, it was kind of weird. I don't think it was the ESPN one though. I, th- I believe they got both on that but i know what what you were talking about i know which broadcast you were talking about during the espn broadcast they were actually just talking about college football playoff nonsense so it was kind of weird in that regard that he kind of just did that like right in the middle of that conversation and it it woke everybody up i'll be honest i I stared stunned like i was just quiet (laughs) (laughs) i couldn't believe what just happened and then when he came back and did it on defense big highlight play on defense literally two seconds afterwards I just couldn't believe that he did that. And then as I was watching the replays on Twitter, as the rest of the game was unfolding, I was like, oh my God, he, he just did that. Like, I'm sure all the scouts and people in attendance, like, that's what you dream of. Big play on offense, and then less than five seconds later, comes back down and just delivers a highlight play on defense. It's literally, I, I've never seen anything like that. I know a lot of people were comparing his dunk to the 95 posterizer by Kerry Kittles, which Mike Jacob showed me a few weeks back, and that was deadly. That was not safe for work. But this series that we saw from Mikhail Bridges, I guess it might be the defensive stand literally seconds after that might give him some separation. Man, I was, I was just stunned with the pterodactyl striking again. <laughs> yeah, the pterodactyl was able to spread his wings and fly and and on that dunk, it kind of felt like the go-go gadget arms were in full effect there. I, I'm going to be honest. I didn't think he was going to dunk it at first. I didn't think he had enough room to get, to dunk it. I thought he was a little too far out from the rim. But then he, he just stretched out those arms with that wingspan, and it went right in. And then, obviously, like you said, the great defensive play on the other end. And you don't really see that in the NBA. To see a two-way player at its finest its full potential, it's really going to attract a lot of NBA scouts. And I think with this game, it really put him back on the prospect map of source. And I, I think he's probably a lottery pick as of today. Dropping that heat early on this Thursday morning, just like Mikael Bridges does every day. I still watch that dunk. I'd say probably every six hours. Like I saw it during my lunch break yesterday. saw it after work yesterday. I was just having a low moment in the day. I was like, let me just let me just take another look at this. And bang, I'm ready to roll for the next five hours. <laughs> 
Yeah, it, re- it really does get you hyped. And you know, it's it's funny because those type of dunks you kind of see like on ESPN's Sports Center's top ten, and you're like, oh, that was just a normal dunk, no big deal. But then you see, and I feel like this was different just because of how it went, how he went about it, how it was just, it seemed like he was too far from the rim, kind of a lull in the game. And he just, it was two guys on him, not to mention that. And then, like you said, to go on the other end and make a big block, it's just absolute great all around performance. Yeah, that was just a nice exclamation point on a nice Gonzaga win. We're going to have Catherine Ryan on in just a little bit to discuss the game with us. She was there. I was there on Tuesday night. Chris Lane was there. Hopefully he's okay. I didn't get any arrest reports or hear of anyone getting carried out by ambulance. So I think he's I think he's good. I, I'm hoping he's good. But uh, I hope he had a good time. I mean, I think everyone donning the blue and white of Villanova had a great time at the Garden. It was just electric on Tuesday night. And it was great to get that win. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about women's basketball. They're still undefeated and rolling. We got two games this weekend for the men's team. They'll be taking on LaSalle on Sunday. We're going to preview that. And then the women's team, they'll be taking on the good old Temple Owls. So some big five matchups for you to watch for this weekend. We're going to break those down. And, of course, we're going to talk your Twitter questions and anything that we got thrown our way in the mailbag. We'll check that out later. But first, let's get Catherine Ryan on the phone. Let's call her up and let's talk some Gonzaga Villanova, Jimmy V Classic from Tuesday night. Hey guys, what's up? Hey Catherine, welcome to the show. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Very excited. On a scale from 1 to 10, how shook are you from Mikhail Bridges' dunk and or block? Still recovering, had to work from home today. Uh, maybe when you see it in person, it's really hard to see that sort of carnage uh, and get over it, but uh, I'm working through it. But on a scale of sh- how shooketh, ooh, uh, double digits definitely, but I think I'm probably at a nine right now. Wow, you're having it a lot better than, than myself. I'm still shaking. <laughs> you were at the Gonzaga game on Tuesday night, right in VU Hoops. I was. What were your thoughts on that game? Well, uh, I would say going into it, I a few days before, I guess I'll say, I, I was nervous. You, When you look at Gonzaga, you see that even though they lost a lot of guys uh, to the draft and to graduating last year, they're still playing at such a ridiculous level. And seeing them play in the PK-80, uh, I was really sort of wondering if Villanova was going to be able to keep up with them, considering that Villanova hasn't really played anyone to the talent level that Gonzaga had played up until then, or, or the talent level that Gonzaga was going to be bringing in. But as the game got closer and I started to look uh, a little more closely at the style of play of the two teams, I felt that if Villanova could get things going, that it really wouldn't be close. And I think I actually uh, texted a couple of guys from the, the morning of the game saying, you know, I'm starting to get the feeling that if the shots start falling, this game pretty much going to go Villanova's way from start to finish. And that's actually sort of how it ended up playing out, which was surprising to me because I think a lot of people thought the game was going to be a little bit closer or that Gonzaga was going to be able to sort of challenge Villanova inside. But basically from start to finish, Villanova really sort of chipped away at what Gonzaga's method of taking shots away from other teams are, which is to basically clog the paint, keep you from scoring inside. You're going to have to shoot threes. Your shots are going to have to fall. And and that's basically what happened for Villanova. And I think on the defensive end, uh, Gonzaga was really unprepared, which is surprising for a Mark Few team. It, it appeared, at least, that they were very unprepared to deal with Villanova's defense. I don't think they had seen anything like that all season. Uh, they really just had, had trouble breaking the press. Uh, they had a little bit of success with early in the first half to the point where a, a few people seemed to be wondering if Villanova should just pull it back and play half-court defense because that was working a little bit better. But 
you know, by the middle of the first half, Villanova was basically getting everything it wanted on defense, and Gonzaga was really struggling uh, to get things going. They were missing some easy shots, turning the ball over. I think they had something like 14 turnovers in the first half. I mean, it was ridiculous. But overall, it's a great win for Villanova. It's a great win for the fans because we were dying for our uh, – you know, big marquee win so far. It, it seems like everybody ahead of us has played, you know, some other ranked teams and some marquee matchups and a game that everybody, you know, games that people are talking about. So it was nice to sort of play in one of those games, get a big win. And, you know, Wednesday morning, I couldn't count the number of articles that were coming out from, you know, the major national news sites about how impressive Villanova looked in that game. So it's great for the program. Yeah, I'll be honest. When you said 8 to 12 point margin of victory, I was like... I don't know. I feel like that's too optimistic, but they ended up winning pretty comfortably. Mm -hmm. It's one of those things where Villanova has those spurts during games where the score, you know, it'll just jump six to eight points and you go into the break or you'll come out of a timeout and within, you know, a minute and a half, Villanova's built another eight point lead. And I think that just comes from increasing the tempo. I think Gonzaga, when they were struggling with Villanova's defense, it was leading to a bunch of runouts, uh, points in transition. I mean, the even the um, Mikel Bridges dunk um, that wasn't necessarily in transition, but the pace and the aggressiveness, I think Gonzaga just really had trouble dealing with Villanova on either side of the floor, and it just got away from him. Yeah, Chris, we talked about how when Gonzaga played against Texas, they had a hard time against the press, Havoc defense, yep. Chaka Smart patented, but I, I thought they would have corrected it. I mean, Chris, from your point, did you really anticipate Gonzaga just having such a tough time against this one-two-two zone press that Nova loves to run? Yes and no. I, I felt the fact that they – they're such a talented team that I feel like they would eventually figure it out. But but when you got that one two two press led by Bridges, I, I I feel like that first line of defense is crucial, and he's he's right there. He's basically two people at that point. To answer your question, I was a little shocked that yes, that they weren't able to break it at all. One of the other things I wanted to say just about that game in general is it was a, if you watched it, it, it was a strange game for Villanova because. The officiating was so inconsistent and random that Villanova was basically playing this entire game with a half of Jalen Brunson. He only played 21 minutes. They played with 13 minutes of Dante DiVincenzo. He and Brunson both finished with four fouls. They were playing the majority of their minutes with four fouls. I mean, DiVincenzo ended up fouling out, but he played with four fouls for most of the second half. You know, you have a player like Pascal having to play for 37 minutes. He had a bad day on offense, I guess. You know, he went 0 for 7 um, from the field, 0 for 2 from 3. But, you know, he's playing 37 minutes, you've got Spellman playing 36 minutes, and you've got Booth basically filling in for the half of Jalen Brunson that you're missing. And despite that, Villanova still beats the number 12 team by double digits in a game that, you know, really wasn't in doubt from start to finish. So you can only imagine if you add an effective Jalen Brunson, a more effective Jalen Brunson, and a DiVincenzo that even plays up to close to the minutes that he's normally playing, uh, you know, what that game would have looked like. Yeah, Catherine, me and Eugene have always been talking about how, like, once Jalen kind of leaves the floor, it kind of feels like this offense goes by the wayside almost. Like, yeah, you got Bridges out there and yeah, you got Booth, but it, it really all runs through Jalen. And because of that, you, you feel like the offense goes stagnant, but that wasn't the case on Tuesday at all. Yeah, and it's funny because uh, I guess the narrative on Wednesday morning was, you know, look, Villanova still won when Jalen didn't have a good game. And it's not so much that I think Jalen didn't have a good game, that the fouls really restricted what he could do. I just specifically, I'm recalling the third and the fourth were yes. crazy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think Jay did the best he could to keep him on the floor. But at that point, you have to be a little, I guess, conservative because you're not sure where the game's going to go. But beyond that, Gonzaga, when they're playing their best defense, is exactly the type of defense that's going to make life hard for a point guard like Jalen Brunson or any point guard. That's just sort of what they're 
method of playing defense is. There's not going to be easy distributions inside. You're going to have to run cuts. You're going to have to set screens. So the idea that Jalen Brunson would have had, um, you know, playing in 21 minutes, still having 12 points against a defense like Gonzaga is still pretty impressive. He also finished with five rebounds. So I, I just think in general, what your expectations were for a point guard against a defense like that is going to have to be adjusted, especially when you keep in mind that he only played half the game. Yeah, I also I also liked what uh, what Jay did with Jalen in the sense that he he kind of brought him down low at, at some points. It kind of like he had him at, at, at some post-up matchups. And I like that because I feel like Jalen has such a great ability to finish at the rim that you can get away with that and especially and create some mismatches on your own because you got Omari out at the three-point line. So then you kind of create that mismatch there underneath the basket. And yes, I know Jalen had the foul trouble, but early on, I know he missed all his shots early part of this game, but he had some nice dribble drives and some nice moves to the basket that he just wasn't able to finish close. So you can't, like he was having a good game in that sense, but obviously just the shots weren't falling, but you knew eventually that they were. For sure. I mean, I can remember, I, I think three specific instances where he was posting up, I think twice against Perkins, who was just completely out of his league trying to, to guard Jalen Brunson. I mean, and my favorite Perkins play was when he got chased down by Mikel Bridges and Bridges, I guess his footsteps alone <laughs> had Perkins throw the ball out of bounds. But Perkins just looked completely out of sorts the entire game and putting a Jalen Brunson in the post against him, you know, he just didn't stand a chance. Yeah, I think Jalen's pivot steps and just moves under the basket are very underrated. He's got pretty good footwork and post-up moves for a point guard, and he can also pass well. So there's also that threat when he has the ball down low. But I know you talked about how when Jalen Brunson was removed from the game and kind of limited due to foul trouble. In your opinion, Air Pascal, 0 for 7, real quiet game. We saw in the early stages of the game when Gonzaga was still leading or when the game was still up in the air, Jay makes a move to put in DiVincenzo for Pascal. And all of a sudden, the offense gets a little jump start. Do you feel that like the offense flows better with DiVincenzo with the small ball? Or would you like to see Pascal still out there? Do you still believe in him? I'd say there's probably two factors at play. One is that Pascal's obviously working through some sort of mental block right now. I'm not sure what the issue is. I mean, he's making shots in practice. He's making shots in warm-ups. And then come game time, just nothing's falling in. So I do get... Right now, you know, it may seem like it flows better when he's off the floor, but that, that might be partly because he's struggling so badly right now. and It's so noticeable. With a game like yesterday's, I think Pascal is basically in there to not so much mop-up minutes, but, you know, you needed a big body in there. And by the time, you know, I know they put uh, Cosby Roundtree in there and then he got four quick fouls. So, you know, at some point, I think Pascal's in there because you just need a body in there. Um, and before Williams fouled out for Gonzaga, you still had Tilly in there, who's a big body. You sort of needed that bigger ball, I guess, if you want to put up sort of an opposite to the small ball with DiVincenzo. You needed that body in there because of just the personnel that Gonzaga had out there and based on, you know, the fouls that were being called. And like we said before, DiVincenzo had five fouls. So at some point, you know, whatever Jay was trying to put on the floor, people were getting in foul trouble and he was sort of adjusting. I think the offense runs better through DiVincenzo just because I think it's a little crisper. It's quicker. DiVincenzo can take people off the dribble. He's got better jump shots than Pascal, especially now. Um, I think eventually Pascal will come out of whatever this slump is and sort of be a stronger off the pre- offensive presence down low, which to offset, you know, someone like Amari Spellman, who we've talked about, uh, at least on VU Hoops, that right now the opportunities down low aren't really there for Spellman. He sets picks. He's not necessarily drifting in the right direction to try and make a play down low. Yesterday he made a few jump shots, but we're still trying to feed him in the post a little bit more. I do think 
ultimately Pascal will come around and be more of a, you know, a complimentary part down there for Spellman. But right now, obviously, I think foul trouble not being an issue, given Chenzo's the way to go. See, no one seems to believe me when I say that Eric Pascal can definitely drain shots from deep. I know just from growing up with him, he used to mm-hmm. just drain them from beyond NBA range, and he used to be a skinny two guard. And it's really hard mm-hmm. to picture that now that he's like bulked up to 250. <laughs> but I do promise he can make those shots. I just don't know what it is, whether it is a mental block or whether it's just something else or he's just not used to his new body now. But it's yeah, just really but, weird to see him in this current state. Yeah, and, and the, it's funny that you mentioned the body because that's that's sort of what it looks like. It, it's like a general discomfort with it, – it look that's what it appears to be, like with the motions as you see when he's more deliberate, um, like when he's shooting free throws it looks better, which is sort of what you'll see when people are trying to change their shooting stroke or get, you know, into their new body, bulking up, things like that. But it's in the game flow where it doesn't seem natural yet, where it, it, it's very manufactured. There's that, like, slight pickup. kind of reminds me of uh, what Josh Hart was experiencing during his sophomore year, where it was just sort of like he's trying to make some changes, but they're not natural yet. So in the game, it, it seems very forced. It seems very mental. It's like he's got the yips, whatever it is. But, you know, I think he works out of it. I think that's a real gut check for him because really nothing was falling on offense, but, you know, he was great on defense. And like I said, he played almost the entire game when Jay was really having trouble keeping bodies on the floor because of foul trouble. And he only finished with two fouls. He was playing smart. His hands were everywhere. He, he really had um, a great game on defense, which I think is sort of the moral victory for him that will hopefully get him over the hump until his shots start falling. Mikhail Bridges, is it too <laughs> early? Is it too out of the ballpark yet to – maybe put him in the national player of the year conversation or like maybe an all American conversation. We saw with Josh Hart, he had that signature moment that kind of lifted him into those talks. Was Tuesday night kind of that moment for Mikhail or is it still too early? Is it just out of the question? Where, where do we stand with Mikhail at this moment? Uh, I would say for player of the year, it, it might be an outside chance. I mean, I, th- those things are, are hard to predict, especially at, at this point when you, when you see, the other players, like you've got Marvin Bagley. I mean, I don't know if Mikel Bridges is going to be able to keep up in the headlines with a player like Bagley, who who's obviously going to get the most attention for an award like that. I know we spoke about Jalen Brunson being a preseason favorite for a player of the year. I think the issue with Mikel is going to be, obviously he has the potential to have games like this, but it's going to be, is he going to actually be in a position to execute like he did? I mean, you have basically he and Booth carrying the team because of foul trouble, because of just the type of defense that Gonzaga was playing. Is that going to present itself throughout the season where, you know, Bridges is going to be in the position to do that? He could do that on any given night. He's capable of it. But just knowing his style of play and knowing how Villanova's offense runs, I'm not sure he's going to be able to put up consecutive, like, sexy numbers that the voters or um, the committees for any of these awards are going to be looking for. I think the mindset with looking at a Jalen Brunson is that because he's sort of the architect of the offense, that the points will come regardless. So he'll be able to sort of put up those numbers. With Mikel Bridges, you know, you can get a 28-point game or you can get a more quiet, you know, eight-point game where he's great on defense. That's just sort of the type of player he is in this system. As for like first-team All-American, for me, I think if people actually were watching him, that would be a much more like feasible, uh, reasonable thing that could actually happen because, you know, I don't think there's, you know, a guard in the league I would, you know, you could probably list five or six that are in, you know, same caliber of Mikel Bridges, and depending on how the rest of the season goes, you know, I don't think that's outside the realm of possibility at all. I, I think it's just more of exposure, people taking the time to actually look at what he does and how he plays. But yeah, you know, I'm all, I'm all about uh, talking about um, goals like that, because like with the Josh Hart stuff, it just sort of kept, kept him in the news, kept the program in the news, had people sort of checking in and seeing what he's doing. But 
the same thing that happened with Josh Hart last year. You know, you just knew that after that game against Notre Dame that that's just not how Villanova's offense operates. You know, someone's not going to put up 37 points every night. That's just sort of not how these games play out. It's usually much more balanced. Yesterday was sort of a coming out party for him. But long term, I'm just not sure he's the type of player that's going to take over games like that for the sake of, you know, putting up those types of numbers. Stans, we talked about going into this game, how I feel like it, there's going to be a signature moment for, or it's going to be a good game for other people not named Jalen Brunson mm-hmm. and Mikhail Bridges. And we saw a great one with Phil Booth and a solid one from Omari Spellman, 10 points, 10 rebounds, double-double. What do you think about their play and how good is it to see Booth just kind of delivering again at a high level? Yeah, before we mention Booth, did you guys know that he scored uh, 20 points in the national championship game in 2016? I had no idea personally. I, I'm, I've now been reminded every broadcast this year. So I, I just, I, I don't know if you guys, I know you guys go to the game, so I'm not sure. Just wanted to make sure you were filled in. But yes, yeah, Phil Booth, I've been saying it all year that he's going to be the X factor for this team. And he played an absolute phenomenal game and showed that, you know, he, yes, he has a more complementary role, but he can become a star in this in this type of system. Nine of fourteen shooting, two of five from deep. He had some drives to the basket that I I would have never expected from him, especially coming off a bum knee. He had the pump fake going for him the other night. It, it was absolutely phenomenal, Chris Jenkins esque almost. He had that one where he was in the corner, got the guy to leap, and then he went high off the glass for an easy deuce. I was very very impressed uh, with his dribble drives, and then Spellman. A double-double. I didn't even realize it uh, until now, really. Ten points with ten boards. Yes, it's the minimum, but he got it. And I thought he played a very smart game. He had some tough rebounds, too. He had some instinctive kickouts. And and it seemed like in Battle for Atlantis, he was forcing the ball and really not making the smart decision, either going up with it soft or, you know, throwing it back into a pack of three defenders. But the other night, he, he did not have that going for him whatsoever. He made the smart passes. He made the smart. He hit the smart shots, and honestly, I was I was very impressed. And it was two big bounce back games for these guys. The other thing with Booth too is when we have Brunson on the bench for you know these large patches during the game, Booth really took over as the primary ball handler on those possessions. Um, and I, when I looked at the stat sheet and saw that he only had two assists, that was surprising because it felt like he had a hand in a lot of the offense when Brunson was on the bench. So just going off of what Chris said. Uh, a bounce back game for him and also sort of asked to do a little bit more than he's normally asked to do with, with, you know, Brunson being on the bench for the large part of the game. And the thing that impressed me the most about Spellman and which has been sort of what I've noticed about him, you've got, you know, this five-star prospect coming in, sitting out a year, the hype train, you know, at full speed, he's sort of getting to the point where he's letting the action come to him and he's not trying to do too much, which sounds so cliche, but you know, he only took four shots and made three of them and then he nailed a three, which is very efficient for someone who, you know, is sort of touted as this big offensive weapon, but he's sort of finding a role within the offense. He's not, he doesn't need to do things if people are hitting shots based on what was happening. He was sort of reading the situation and the fact that he's being very efficient you know, three for four from the field, one for one from three, 10 points, 10 boards is, you know, exactly what you need from him. He doesn't need to be, you know, trying to go up with every shot. He doesn't need to be trying to do too much. And he's actually being the perfect complement to an offense that right now is working perfectly. And some games he'll be asked to do more. Some games he'll be asked to do less. Jonathan Williams, Silas Melson, both nowhere to be found on Tuesday night. Did anyone anticipate Zach Norvell Jr. to go off or at least <laughs> drop 22 points on the Cats? No, he actually, he also went four for eight from three, which was a little bit unexpected. But Jonathan Williams, I mean, APB on that guy, because coming into the game, we were 
sort of focusing on he and Tilly as, as perhaps being a problem for the Cats just based on the fact that, you know, sides down low has traditionally been something that Villanova's had to, to plan for. But wow, Williams uh, only played 18 minutes, one for five from the field, five points and fouled out. Uh, Jalen Brunson actually got him to foul out and then fouled out Nelson, I think, on like the next possession. So really, Brunson doing it all. I mean, that's that's a disappointing game from Williams. Uh, I think the narrative that I was seeing uh, from most of the Gonzaga fans is that they felt there was just absolutely no leadership or, or game plan yesterday and that when things started to fall apart that no one really stepped up for Gonzaga. I think you, you sort of saw that. You saw frustration. You saw a little bit of anxiety when they couldn't get things going, but that's a bad game for Williams, who, who was actually, you know, I think people think he was a, coming into the season was sort of tab to have a great year, and, and I think he sort of maybe outperformed earlier in the year and, and maybe regressing back to what he's actually going to be for this team, but but yesterday was pretty much as bad as it gets for him. All right, so we have some mail. We usually go over it at the end of the show, but we feel like we need to shake things up, like how Mikhail Bridges shakes things up at the Garden. And <laughs> we wanted to ask your opinion on a few things, get your inside look into what the fans want to know, because I feel like people are tired of listening to us all the time and what we think and some of my hot takes. <laughs> so we will go through the mail and go question by question and see what you think. All right. First, we got a few questions from Jerry Quinn, our guy. Um, first question, will Garrett Hill 2.0 be better or worse? I, so I graduated from Villanova in 2010. I have not been to Garrett Hill in God knows how long. I feel like I only actually ever went there when there was some coupon special. Yes. I was more of a campus corner person, and I, I'm basically going to ride or die with campus corner. So I actually don't have a a strong opinion on Garrett Hill, but I understand it was shut down. It's coming back. I, I wish it all the best, but I, I don't have any sort of uh, analysis on Garrett Hill. It, it's, it's been a long time. I'm getting old. Yeah, I, I think the only time I went there is because I felt like our freshman and sophomore years, they used to always just have coupons for free pies all the time. Yes, and maybe that's did. a part of the reason why they don't exist anymore. <laughs> but they would just hand out the coupons like it was water. I only had Garrett Hill once. It was okay, but yeah, campus corner all day, every day. Yeah, I'd have to agree with your sentiments, Eugene. And also, I don't think we'll ever have the opportunity to go for Garrett Hill version two, so unfortunately. Next question from Jerry. Uh, what is the next big game for men's basketball? Men's basketball in general or Villanova basketball? Yeah, Villanova basketball in general. <laughs> yes, I figured. Um... Good question. I would say, I think the obvious answer is they're going to Butler uh, at the end of December, right before the new year, which I think will probably be their first uh, real big road test. But right before that, um, you know, I guess two weeks before that, I mean, we're still playing Temple um, coming up next week at Temple. And, you know, obviously we're a better team than Temple. We should win that game. But anytime you're going to travel to a school like Temple, uh, same with St. Joe's. I mean, we handled St. Joe's pretty easily, but that's still a pretty hostile environment to go in and play. So I think Temple will actually be um, sort of a nice pregame, so to speak, uh, before traveling to Indianapolis to play Butler. Um, but past that, I mean, we come back, we come right back and play Marquette and Xavier. So I mean, conference conference play is coming soon. It's coming fast. Um, but right before that, you don't want to get tripped up by Temple, which is uh, next Tuesday, I believe. So I would say Temple followed by Butler right before the New Year. See, I feel like each year everyone lists Temple as a trap game. Like, I don't know what it is. Like, every year it's always like, oh, potential trap mm-hmm. games. Temple, number one. My senior year with the Jalen going back there, that was the biggest ultimate trap game. I, I remember that. 
Yeah, and honestly, like I don't, I don't see Villanova having an issue at all with that game. And actually, I think it's perfectly timed because I think just the the sort of environment and the, um, I guess, energy level and and being there will be a good prep for teeing off conference play. But yeah, no, actually on the court, I don't see Temple being much of a challenger to Villanova, but I do think that will end up being a pretty good win to Villanova because I think Temple will have a pretty good season. I know Butler schooled us both meetings last year, but I, I'm just not that sold on them this year. I don't know what it is. I, I'm, I'm more scared for the Xavier game and more up for that. I think that's going to be a big one on January 10th. I think a lot of people should come back from their winter breaks early just for that. But um, yeah. I think that's going to be a crazy game, and hopefully we can shut J.P. Makira up. (laughs) I want the next international incident that involves J.P. Makira to happen at Villanova. (laughs) I want to be talking about it for a week. Um, I want want J.P. Makira baiting fans. I want him baiting officials, baiting players. I want a complete – we've been talking about the Xavier Cincinnati thing. Every time I download a podcast, it's the first thing that people are talking about. It happens to me, though. You know, I want in. I want some drama. If you're J.P. Makira, how do you troll Villanova fans? I don't know. Well, if it's anything like yesterday, you're going to have to wait until halfway through the first half for any of them to be there. Not sure what was going on yesterday. Um, Villanova usually traveling well to the garden, but a little late arriving yesterday. I, I got nervous for a second because I, I was worried uh, Syracuse and UConn had bought up all the tickets and nobody would be showing up. I don't know, but maybe you bring up something about Garrett Pizza. <laughs> Chris, if you're J.P. McKira, how do you tell Villanova fans? You throw your armband into, or your arm sleeve into the crowd. That's how you do it. Write something on it. I, I don't know. Throw it to a fan. Just get them all riled up. You do some um, profane gesture with the V. <laughs> oh, what you go That's to. That would be my go-to if I were a heel. Don't give him ideas, though. Hopefully he doesn't listen. <laughs> if you're listening, yeah. step it up. You never know. It's like that one time, Chris, when we had those DePaul fans listen in. And then oh, they God, like, remember that? Yeah. They <laughs> wanted to help break down the DePaul game. <laughs> I'll go. Yeah, I criticized their fan. Their I guess it was their fan base and, and their crowd. And the next thing you know, Eugene's getting emails about, oh, you should come on and help us break the game down. We're like, oh, geez, we triggered them. <laughs> it's okay. They, they, it's okay. DePaul fans were like, yeah, we know we suck. We, we support our women's basketball team more. Oh, God. Uh, last question from Jerry Quinn. Would you support having a Wildcat statue on campus? If so, where would you put the statue? If not, why not? Uh, there's a question I've never considered. Uh, I'm curious the the arguments against having a wildcat statue. I'd be very curious. Uh, I guess, sure. Radner. Oh, well, if well, with Radner, then of course I want the wildcat statue. Yeah. I want every single statue that could possibly or uh, Radner. I would guess it would go by the new pavilion, the, the little Willie when it's ready, but I don't know. We could put it on the bridge. See, the problem is there's been so much construction since I graduated that every time I go back, I barely recognize the campus. So if I'm supposed to sort of isolate an area that, a statue would look great. I yeah, I would barely recognize campus at this point. But I don't know. If something terrible happens to me at some point, I'll give you my, my old dorm numbers and it can go there in my memory. Eugene, you, you brought up a great point. I want that statue at Radnor Town Hall, and I want it <laughs> voice automated where it takes you into the hall every time you open the door. I, no, I wanted to announce the, the VU, hot, uh, VU live tweets as the game's going on. Or that too. Yes. It just reads them. Yeah. <laughs> it reads yeah. I guess another key question to this question would be, what would you want the statue to look like? Like, would you want like a wildy cat, like looking wildcat, or would you want like an actual like animal looking wildcat? Actual, actual cat. Well, at some point during the recent, like I would say 10 or so years, 
that the mascot head of Villanova changed and it went from this like large cartoonish sort of typical mascot head to like a smaller, weirder, beadier eye Wilby Cat. I don't know if you've noticed that. I would like to go back to the, the friendlier looking one, uh, not this tiny headed one. So I would say it would look more like Wilby Cat, but I don't want it to be sort of like, I don't know. I want it to be intimidating, so I would guess a real one, but I think actual wildcats are pretty small. So this one would have to be big. Have you ever seen the old Wildy Cat from like the 80s? It looks horrifyingly creepy. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's what I'm trying to avoid. But there is there is a, there's something about having those terrible mascots, like the Friar. I mean, he goes viral. Stanford Trees. Yeah. Yeah, but the Stanford Trees cool. The the Providence one is just that that's just creepy. That is nightmare. What's the other weird one? Nebraska? Have you seen that one? Oh yeah, yeah. Little boy and big boy, like little red and big yeah. red. Yep. No way. There's a mascot something like that. There's a mascot called Little Boy Udy. Yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> I'll look it up. I don't know if it's called Little Boy, but it's... There, there's, <laughs> a, there's like there's like Little Red and Big Red. Oh, oh, that's unfortunate. And yeah, and Big Red looks really creepy, and then the little one looks like I don't even like a 1950s like play cartoon boy. Oh God. Well, the Xavier has two mascots. They have the musketeer, and then they have that blue blob. Oh, oh, oh that's favorite. No blue Bob slander on the show. <laughs> <laughs> Eugene will go to the. Every depth to defend that. Go to the mat for blue blob. I would love to meet the blue blob. They always bring the the Xavier Musketeer. I don't care about the Musketeer. The blue blob, in my opinion, is the best mascot in college basketball. I went out to Cincinnati last year for the game and Mm -hmm. saw the blue blob come out onto the court and asked a Xavier fan next to me, "What the hell was that?" And he just said, (laughs) matter of factly, "Blue blob." (laughs) Blue blob. What is blue blob? (laughs) The Midwest is a weird place. Yes, it is. A Xavier fan told me the story behind the blue blob, and apparently it was made because kids thought the actual musketeer was too creepy, so they wanted to make a kid-friendly mascot, and so they made the blue blob. What? I, I guess why not just change the musketeer at that point? Just get rid of the musketeer. Just be the Xavier blobs. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. I like the way you think. That is exactly what it should be. <laughs> uh, it's all about marketing. They can't make blob go very far. Uh, a couple more questions from Mike. One... Where does this team stack up to some of the more recent Villanova squads? That's an interesting question because it's all people have been talking about today, and I'm not sure exactly what triggered it, but the consensus seems to be that this is the most talented team uh, in a long time, uh, I think specifically since the Lowry-Ray-Foy team. You know, I think I would agree with my, – my only thing would be last year – I would say last year was more athletic than the year before – but this year, when you look at it, it, we lost, you know, basically Hart, Jenkins, and Reynolds and gained back Booth and Spellman. You're also adding in uh, some young freshmen that are very athletic. So I, I think I would agree that the, the raw talent on this team is probably as good as it's been in a while. And you've had a lot of, you have a lot of players that have played in the system for a while. So you're sure to get the best of both worlds. But I don't know, you know, I thought last year was an incredibly talented team, an incredibly athletic team. And, and there's a lot of the same pieces this year. But, but I would agree that I think we're, we're seeing probably the team, you know, it sounds silly to say with the highest ceiling because we won a national championship in 2016. But I think if you looked at that team uh, at this point in the year, this is just, the ceiling here just seems so much higher because these these players are just so athletic and there's so many ways Villanova can hurt you and it just seems like 
you know, fresh legs after fresh legs. We're finally getting back to having a little bit more depth. People are contributing. Yeah, so I would say talent level. This is this is probably Jay Wright's most talented if you're looking at just raw athleticism and, you know, just pure ceiling of each individual player. I, I would say probably since the Kyle Lowry years. And the last question, how do you think the Big East will look next year? Are you guys scared for the drop-off and what's being lost? How do you think it'll look? Yeah, it, it's a little hard as of right now to kind of predict that because you, you obviously don't know who's going to leave early or and you know whatever happens on the recruiting trail but i don't know i kind of feel that villanova is going to drop off next year i kind of feel that xavier's going to drop off next year with losing Blewett. uh providence is going to drop off next year with losing Cartwright. i mean all these all these top teams in our conference are going to be losing top end talent uh seton hall is basically going to be depleted marquette loses everyone at like a day so like i so it really, I really don't know. Um, so I guess the conference might actually take a hit next year, and hopefully that the the new freshman class and the, the younger classes from these past couple of years are able to help replace that talent that is leaving. But it might it might take a bit to get to the point where we are at now, or even as of a year ago when the conference was really laying everyone up. Yeah, I mean, I think the current projections are that by tournament time, the release, um you know, based on the numbers so far, he's going to be ranked probably around uh, the third toughest conference in the country. I don't see that being the case next year. I just think there's going to be too much of an exodus of these elite players, many of whom have played it for, um, you know, three or four years. The timing just seems bad for the conference because a lot of these players are sort of on the same track uh, and about to go out together. I do feel like the window for Villanova being this sort of, um, you know, season-long top-five team is – closing in so much that I think we're going to lose. I mean, I know we're going to lose a lot of talent next year, and I don't know if our current freshmen and incoming freshmen are going to be enough to to bridge that gap until, um, you know, the end of the season. So I, I think there's going to be a definite talent drop-off for Villanova, uh, a little bit of a rebuilding year in the sense that, um, you know, Jay Wright trying to get these younger players back up to what he's just lost. But, but yeah, I think this is a, a sort of a, a big year for the Big East because I know that they've been criticizing the past, um, obviously Villanova, uh, one of the teams uh, before the national championship that was criticized for the same, of you know going in very highly ranked and not really doing much in the tournament. So I, I think this is a year where the Big East is going to really sort of have to capitalize on all these great players because next year, I think a lot of these programs are going to be in the same type of situation, trying to rebuild it and, and build a new identity for new players coming in. Catherine, thank you so much for joining the State of the Nova Nation. Where can we find you on Twitter? You can find me at CMRyan624 uh, and occasionally, I guess, tweeting from the, uh, the live tweet uh, for View Hoops. But I love talking to people on Twitter. Please uh, write me anything you want. Um, criticize anything I say. I basically stay on Twitter to keep myself sane all day. So uh, hit me up if you have something to say. Once again, that was Catherine Ryan. She had the recap of the Gonzaga game. It's on live at View Hoops. I also wrote a piece on Mikhail Bridges that's also still on. It was funny. We were sitting right next to each other in the press box, and we just didn't know it for about like 20, 30 minutes. I feel like that's very commonplace nowadays, where you, you, you know people, but you don't, you know, you've never physically met them before. It's the internet, obviously. Yeah, yeah, internet probs. First world internet probs. I guess it's like uh, Ryan Sackerman. <laughs> yes, yes. I, I, like one of the first few games I covered at the Pavilion, I was like, man, this this guy just keeps looking over at me. I'm like, who is this guy? And then I and then I realized and then he, that he was Ryan Sackerman, and then he realized I was like the bench mob guy. And then I was like, oh, my God, like, wow. Like, 
obviously seen you on Twitter, never met you in person, but it's like weird because you know who that person is. Yeah. In a way. Yep. And if and if it isn't that person, then you look like a real Momo. <laughs> so you don't want to play it too risky, and I would be in that. I would be in that contingent. Yeah, yeah, it's just like, you know, I don't know if that's that person, but I'm just not going to risk looking like an idiot. No, that's always the smart play. That's why I didn't want to ask Andy Katz who he was. But... Well, well, I feel like he has a hot, much higher stature. <laughs> yeah. he, he's been on TV a lot. Yeah, when I, when I saw him at the Garden, I was like, I know who he is now. I don't need Twitter to verify for me. Fully aware. So the men's team, they're undefeated. They're rolling. And so is the women's team. They took on Fairfield last night, and then they destroyed them on the road, 73-44. to 44. Mm-hmm. Big games for Adriana Hahn, 21 points, 8 of 12 shooting, including five three-pointers. And then you have Bridget Herlihy coming off the bench, dropping 19, going 7 for 10. And the best part is we got to see everyone get a piece of the action last night in such a lopsided win against Fairfield. Chris, takeaways from Villanova continuing to be undefeated in their first game after moving up to number 22 in the AP polls. I think the biggest takeaway for me is that they beat down Fairfield without a significant contribution from Kelly Jaycott. I mean, we were highlighting her significantly in our last episode and and the great performance she had, but she only had seven points, three of seven shooting, so a relatively quiet night for her. But you had Hurley off the bench after she had that big block against Princeton. So she was able to follow up a clutch performance with a even more clutch performance. And then Adriana Hahn, part of that big three that you uh, highlighted, she contributed significantly. So you got contributions from the starting cast, you got contributions from the bench, and it was basically, it was damn near a perfect game for them. They shot 49% from the field. They shot 34% from beyond the arc, and they were... 100% from the line, but they only took four free throws. Great shooting performance. And then they also played fantastic defense. They gave up just four points in that third quarter, outscoring the Stags 18-4. to four. And that pretty much put the game away because the first quarter, they had only outscored Fairfield by one. Second quarter, they kind of broke free and outscored them by nine. But that third quarter put the game away. They didn't even have to worry about the fourth quarter and trying to close out an opponent on the road. And they also, they tallied a 41 rebounds to boot. That's a crazy stat. And and it was all because Fairfield shot it 74 times. So I don't know what offense they're running over there in Fairfield, but the fact that they hacked up 74 shots suggests to me that they're playing at a very high tempo. But still, they they had 74 shots and Villanova only gave up 44 points. I think that just speaks even more as to how great that defense was last night. Yeah, just for comparison's sake, Villanova put up 15 fewer shots compared to Fairfield. The defense, you know, shooting might be off. Players might go cold. One night it might be Kelly Jaycott. Another night might be Alex Lewin. And then the third, it might be Adriana Hahn. But if there's one thing that's consistent in all of these games, it's the defensive effort on that end. Villanova holding Fairfield to just shooting 25.7% on the floor, including an ugly 4 of 23 from deep. Crazy defensive numbers. Did they just lock down? They might not generate. They might not be a turnover forcing machine. But the way that they just bear down, buckle down on D, fly around on the court, make give them a tough time. It's just really impressive. The defense has just been fantastic so far. And yeah, you know we're a team that loves to shoot them up, sleep in the streets. But the way that Harry Preda has these ladies just working on defense is just something 
that's just a sight to behold. Only one player got into double figures for Fairfield, and that's Sam Kramer. But she didn't even have a great night, 5 of 11. You have Duf and Cooper for Fairfield combined for 5 of 33. <laughs> These are their main contributors, and they're just having a pretty quiet day. It was just a great day for the Cats, and an even better one for Adriana Hahn and Bridget Herlihy. Yeah, and it's funny, too, because we talk about a lot about how th- this team is mainly offensive-oriented, but now you've seen the pa- these past couple games, the defense is really starting to step up, uh, step up and with the offense clicking. So everything's kind of coming together at this moment. The other thing, too, is Adriana Hahn, last year she was one of the top scorers. She was a scoring machine, shot very well on the floor. But this season, while she's putting up good scoring numbers, it just kind of seems to be more of like a volume type of feel, not so much efficiency. and. We've seen that she's definitely better for she's definitely better than what those numbers indicate. Preda knows that she can be a much better shooter than the thirty percent numbers that she had from deep coming in. But to see her shoot eight of twelve on the floor, five of nine from deep, I'm hoping that this is maybe a game where she turns the corner because if she's clicking and shooting as efficiently as we've seen her in the past, this team's gonna be just so much more dangerous. I hope that this could be maybe that moment where things start to roll for her and we see less of those two for seven games or maybe like a three mm-hmm. of eight. You know, eight of 12 is very impressive. But mm-hmm. also Bridget Herlihy. Yeah. Usually the bench warrior is Mary Gadeka. And Gadeka was good too. Seven points, four boards off three for four. But Herlihy coming in, dropping 19, seven of 10, four for six from deep. I think she might. I think she just might warrant some more minutes coming her way. It's it's very possible. Like like I mentioned before, she had the big block against Princeton, and then you follow up a performance against Fairfield like this. So it, it's possible she can start working her way up in that rotation. And I, I, honestly, she she might. If you're gonna go with the hot hand, she she's definitely gonna be up there in the options for Coach Peretta. So yeah, I, I can see them working her in. Definitely, maybe not sixth person. Mary Gadega has that role solidified. But yeah, I can definitely see Hurley. He's minutes increasing in the near future. Back-to-back games for Villanova where they held its opponent to 44 points. They did it against St. Joe's on last Sunday. Then they did it again last night against Fairfield. This Sunday, they got Temple at 2 p.m. tip-off going down to Lycura Center. Chris, do you think we can see another 44? Uh, it's going to be tough, but a lot depends on the performance of Tanaya Atkinson. She's averaging just under 24 points for the Owls. She is the go-to person for Temple. She's soon over 50% from the field, complete inside presence, doesn't take a lot of threes at all. Uh, not exactly the best from the free throw line either. So if you want to foul her before she makes her moves inside, go go for it. She's only shooting about 66% from the line. And then other than that, Tempa's not that deep. You have Mia Davis, who averages 10 points. But other than that, they don't really have that much, that many options off the bench either. Starting lineups just kind of rounded out with around people scoring around five, four points a game. So, I mean, Temple's sitting at six and two, so a good record. But I, they barely got by St. Joe's and Villanova beat down St. Joe's. So I think good things are in the fold for, for Villanova. Yeah, a couple other players to watch for. Desiree Oliver and Khadijah Berger, they're both, they're three-point specialists for Temple. They haven't really gotten off the ground too well. They're shooting just just slightly above that 30% mark, but they're, they're go-to players from the three-point line. Yeah, Temple's a team that just beat St. Joe's 
we thought that, you know, that meant St. Joe's was a tough team because both teams were undefeated coming in. And to see Temple just win against this big five rival in such an intense showdown, thought that, like, oh, maybe this will be – maybe St. Joe's will be tough for Villanova. But we saw the Wildcats just completely blow them out. They're playing Temple, whether it was just the hot hand, whether it was just the basketball gods of that night just wa- warranting that to happen. I'm just not too concerned for Temple after that game. I think the Wildcats should beat their big five rival, continue undefeated, and we'll be talking about where they'll be moving up on the polls on Monday. Then, as for the men's team, they're also taking another big five rival. We will have Pookie Powell watch, baby. It, it is good to have Pookie watch back. For the OG listeners, you, you know all about Pookie watch. Yeah, this was a LaSalle team that... I don't even know. I don't even want, like, <laughs> it's funny because the players that we, we joke about on the show when we preview end up blowing up. And then the players that we, like, hype up, like, oh, you got to watch for these people. Like, this guy's going to shut it down. These mm-hmm. are the players that we need to lock down on. They end up going quiet. And Pookie Powell was probably the first example of that. Like, we joked about, like, like oh, look, it's this guy named Pookie. And <laughs> he just transferred into LaSalle. And we destroy LaSalle. And LaSalle's not doing that well. So, like, oh, I think this will be a pretty easy game. And then before you know it, the Explorers are giving the Wildcats a game at the Palestra until, like, the last three minutes. And a big reason why was because of Pookie Watch. Pookie, yes, it was all about Pookie Power. But there, but there is there is an SNN curse. We, we jinxed Arizona and everyone on that team. We, we've jinxed uh, Jonathan Williams from Gonzaga, which by, he fouled out complete, uh, had a horrible performance the other night. And I, th- I think on the women's side, too, we've, we've jinxed a few players as well. I think the, the leading player on St. Joe's didn't even like, do anything against us. So oh, we absolutely the, jinxed St. Joe's women's basketball. Yeah, yeah we, we have a curse. So if we're hyping up a player, expect him to do bad. And if we're making fun of a player, expect him to do good. So I don't know. If I, so I guess Pookie is – I guess we're kind of hyping him up and making fun of him at the same time. So – I, I guess just a really pedestrian game from him then? Maybe like 10 to 12 points and hopefully nothing more than that. Yeah, the other thing I hope too is that n- now that we've put this on air, on wax, we hope that this doesn't mean that this effect will go away. And we also experienced this a few instances last year. So, yes. uh, yeah, hopefully hopefully this doesn't put an end to that curse or that jinx just because now that we've fully opened it up to the public. Yeah, watch. Now, now it actually... Yeah, now, yeah, now, the hyped, now, now the hyped beasts in order. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, we're we're kind of hoping that this actually follows through. But yeah, LaSalle. I don't know. You always forget that they're kind of part of the Big Five. I feel like uh, I don't know. The Cine five and four uh, losses to Towson, BC. They did hang in with there with a ranked Miami team, but also hung in there with a ranked Northwestern team. But then they got shellacked by bc so they're a very odd team but yeah it, it i think villanova shouldn't have any issue with this yeah pookie powell averaging a cool 15 points per game but the guy to really watch for is bj johnson former syracuse transfer was one of the main guys last year but this season he's really blowing up he's their top scorer rebounder he does it all for the explorers he's averaging over 21 points per game with just under 10 boards to go along with that this man is a workhorse, he's a monster, and he's probably not someone you want to mess with. But, you know, we've seen these two-man tandems before come against the Cats, and 
We've seen Villanova shut them down. I'm not too concerned for LaSalle considering how they are five and four. You never know. I mean, I thought we were going to just completely breeze by <laughs> the Explorers last season when we played them at the Palestra, which happened to be Chris Jenkins' 1,000-point game or his 1,000-career-point game. But, yeah, I just don't see too much of a threat from the Wildcats. Hopefully that because finals, the break from finals week is coming up, so hopefully they don't, mm-hmm. you know, they don't sleep their way through this game. It's going to be a Sunday game, Sunday afternoon. The only competition I can see is if the Eagles are on. I don't even know if they are, but yeah, mm-hmm. that's that's it for LaSalle. I mean, I I just I don't know, Chris. I I just like you said, I I kind of forget sometimes that they're in the Big Five. Like I can easily mm-hmm. identify. Like when it comes to listing schools in the Big Five, I usually list Temple, St. Joe's, and Penn because obviously Penn's the smart school. It's the Ivy League school. We can't can't forget Penn. And then it's like, oh man, what's that? What's the name of that last one? LaSalle. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're always scraping through the barrel for that one. I, I sometimes I'll even throw Drexel in there on accident before LaSalle. Same um, colors too. Can't see it's not even Yeah, that, that is off. true. That's true. That is the same colors. I just want to mention two, a couple things. One, this is actually the this is the first home game in a while for Villanova, so I think that I think that'll help. Obviously, I mean being back at home, but I back in front of that home crowd, even though Madison Square Garden was kind of a pseudo home crowd. Uh, two. Guess who's on this LaSalle team that that might ring a uh, whose name might ring a bell? Former former Big East foe. Former Big East foe. Just take one guess and I'll just tell you. Uh, can I can I get a hint? But like, what team this 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 person was on? He was a former Marquette person. Oh, he, who who oh, was oh, famous oh, for oh, one oh, thing and one Tracy thing Carter, only. Tracy Carter. Yep. Tracy bang, Carter. Bang bang. Bang bang. <laughs> Expletive. <laughs> yeah, Tracy, Tracy Carter is on LaSalle. Yeah, he was one of their he was one of their defectors. He was like the first one to leave. Yeah, he's I think he's actually he's actually redshirting this year. So he won't be playing, but he is on the main roster. I just found that funny because that name is just associated with Man. three words and three words only. <laughs> and I totally forgot he existed. Yeah, no, me too. I, I he was relevant for not even a, a, like five minutes of an entire season god yeah like, yeah he sinks like, the quarter three in front of the villanova bench turns around says bang bang and and, and then, then you get up and then before stomped. you know it yeah yeah exactly and before you know villanova just like drops like 40 more points uh, you just people will never learn in the pavilion you just got to keep your mouth shut and just one more thing i want to bring up I, I i want he had a terrible game against gonzaga but i really want to see eric pascal do something in this game it seems like lasalle is a very guard heavy team and their inside presence just really isn't isn't much if at anything you got tony washington who's the senior center averaging 6 points per game but other than that they really don't have that much going on I and mean, you got a couple of freshmen but I think if there's a time for him to shine, it's this state game. Get him back on track because, honestly, if I have to see him take a couple of outside shots again that are going to hit somewhere awkward off the rim, I don't know what I'm going to do. He's such a great inside presence. He should really take advantage of that. And I know, like you said, like he was a former two-guard in high school, and he's still kind of getting used to his body in that regard. But I, I want to see him really explode and you know do something special against a big five rival at on home court and kind of get back into the swing of things that's a great point LaSalle has been hoping for a big man to just come in and just help them out they've been just longing for such an inside presence for a while so this would be it sounds like at least on paper the type of game that Eric Pascal can come in have a big game for especially 
This is Villanova's first home game since Penn came to the Jake Nevin Fieldhouse, and this will be their last home game until the new year. Villanova doesn't play back at the Wells Fargo Center until Marquette, and that's on January 6th. So yeah. they got some time. So hopefully if you're a student or you're a fan in the area, you get to go down to this game because you probably won't get to see them for a, a few weeks. And, yeah, I think Villanova should win this one. Hopefully it's a big game for East Bin. And we'll be talking about on Tuesday how we have two undefeated teams. Thus, again, we asked you a good question. Who will remain undefeated last? <laughs> and it, it, I think for another weekend, I think we can say both teams. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for listening to the State of the Nova Nation podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, on Podomatic, or on iTunes. You have options. Hopefully we can add Google Play to the mix. We're getting our people on how to get ourselves on there. In the meantime, check out the smooth content that we have on viewhoops.com. We're going to have previews of this weekend's action. We'll also have your recaps and some other basketball goodies on the site. So check back and check often. Follow us on Twitter at viewhoops or follow the podcast at pod. You can also follow me, Eugene Repay, at erepay5. And you can follow me, Chris Danziel, at the Stansman on Twitter. Nova Nation, happy Thursday. The weekend's almost here. Let's get these wins. And once again, we'll talk. We'll be talking about hopefully how we'll have two teams undefeated and moving up on those polls. <laughs>